0: This is Rebecca Mulligan, and this is Crime and Stuff, the podcast yes, you the, would do if you had nothing better to do. That's right. Which we don't apparently. That's apparently not. And a, apparently you, you have nothing better to do than to listen. So oh, don't throw down that challenge to them. Well, you know. and this is episode thirteen. Is that so lucky, significant? 13, no, no, it's just it's uh, significant that we've been doing this. I know we've actually got thirteen. That we've actually got up, thirteen episodes. And and we're and, having fun, and there are a couple. We are having fun. We hope you guys are too. But uh, there's a couple things we need to update, right? Well, from one thing that I totally forgot, and I was gonna say right after our episode on Jonestown, and I forgot, and then I just remembered it now. Was that I got off on a tangent, which is very <laughs> so, unlike, unlike me. you. And I never mentioned that Jim Jones did not drink the Flavorade himself. He was found shot in the head. And it was assumed that he killed himself, but a lot of people felt, or people that investigated, I don't know, the autopsy, they thought that somebody else had shot him. And at his request? At his or request. Because he was too much of a pussy to do yes, himself. Yes, and I, they believe his nurse, he had a nurse that kept him supplied in drugs, I can't remember her name at the moment. But nurse she, Ratchet. They believe she shot him and then shot herself. And his son, Steve said when he did that press conference shortly after the incident, the mass suicide happened, mass murder-suicide. Yeah, murder-suicide. He said he didn't even have the guts to shoot himself or to drink, the, to kill bitter himself. Bitter much? He was very bitter, and he you can't blame him. No, I'm just... I'm... Um, he had a very complicated, I guess you'd call it, relationship with his father. And there are a lot of feelings he's probably had to work through, but... I think before his father died, he couldn't stand him. And then after this happened, I don't want to say hate, but he probably did. But to not be able to... Hate is such a strong word <laughs> for a guy who led almost a thousand people to <laughs> but kill But I mean, if that, okay, first of all, his father was a fucking crazy man and treated him like shit his whole life. And was abusive in a way, not sexually abusive, but in many other ways an abusive he was abusive to everybody and that he felt were his children, not just his his biological child, but everyone that he had them all call him dad and he abused all of them and was control freak and crazy. So he just he he had a lot of hatred for him because of that. And now he has to be known as the son of this person and he has to carry that with him the rest of his life. He's only a few years older than us. He's right. he's. But at least he's, the last name is Jones, and not, you know, Rockefeller or right now. something. And at least he's not Jim Jones Jr. Like his adopted yeah. brother. But, but you but, can always change your name. But, so I neglected to say that during the podcast about Jonestown because I got off um, talking about the lady that fell asleep. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That <laughs> tangent. I was, was the trying the to remember. Onlyest one oldest left. Onlyest one left. I'm trying. Okay. to... So, and you had an Uber crime. Yes, Jason update. Dalton, the alleged shooter, Uber driver shooter, mass shooter guy. There was a hearing scheduled for February tenth for a motion to suppress uh, the um, a motion to suppress the statement he gave to the police about the Devil Head app thing, which would be really disappointing if that weren't part of the trial. Yeah, so I mean that's be, the best thing about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, without that, he's just another mass shooter, you know. But the hearing was postponed. So uh, We can ask Matt about this next time we talk. Have asked the question. lawyer. Right. But a uh, motion to suppress, from what I remember as a secretary, or now they call him administrative assistants, for a, a defense attorney about 20-something years ago, that was something that we would, it would be something that we always just filed right. just for the hell of because it. Because you can, it, when if you can get that suppressed, then there goes away a lot of the so we'd always, space. The, he would always motion to suppress was something that yeah it was just like okay file a motion to suppress because they, you know it'd be the same wording and just we got got to think of a reason for it so I don't know what the reason is but you know I could look it up and we don't know the date it's been postponed yeah. too. I've only driven a couple hours since then, and I really... There weren't people around when it was telling me to shoot people, so I just didn't. And Then, no, then it turned a, the other color... What Was it red, red to not shoot? You think red would be the shooting one? I, I would think so. Yeah, no, but, I think though, red was the shooting one, and black was the... No, black, because I was confused by that. Black was the shooting okay. one, and then he said it turned red. You know? Oh, and red means stop. Yeah. Well, that might... Yeah. Red means stop. Like oh, that stop makes stop sign. sense, like a stop sign. Well, yeah. in any case... That's just a bullshit story. So, yeah, and so we'll find out when something does happen with that. Yeah. What it is that happens. and okay. Tell all our listeners. I all know. All of our many, many. And you know, oh, I just did want to mention this. We could wait till the end of the show, but I might as well, since we're doing our housekeeping right now. Some people have been asking us about merch, merchandise. If we're oh, gonna right. It. We were going to, and so we are going to have think, it. So if you have any things that you want, you can email us at Crime and stuff online. online. No, that's our website, but ah. we do have a contact form on our website. Yeah, there's a contact form on okay. the website. Crime and stuff gonna... at gmail.com. Yes, crime and stuff at gmail. Or you can contact us on our Facebook. We were going to make some magnets to give away to people who made donations. Mm-hmm. We do have a donor. Or uh, to an uh, our latest donor on our donor oh, list. she wanted to remain anonymous. Did she? I, I can't know. remember. Liz. <laughs> Hi Liz. Hi Liz. Um, from Portland, Oregon. Liz from Portland, Oregon, is a five dollar a week a oh, month donor. Nice. So she's a so she's a crime buster. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, she's a crime and she gets buster. the special the, the special stuff that donors get that you can find on our Patreon.com page. If you go to our website, Crime and Stuff Online, and click on that, you can see what special things. And we're going to add to that our merch. Okay, we're kay. gonna we are going to make some stuff. M, well. We have thought of stuff. Well, right? I know, but I mean, well, if anyone has something that they really well, want. Well, we were going to make magnets, because um, I, I, know I know that, know that really excites you guys. Some people like mugs, but some people don't, so I don't know. Yeah, mugs are oh. a whole different thing. Anyways, animals. I just thought I'd bring it up now. I, thanks for bringing that up, because <laughs> I had forgotten about that. <laughs> okay. So, this week is your turn. It is my turn. Which is good, because I don't have anything prepared. That's, so. I know. We could just sit here and talk for an hour. <laughs> yeah. But we had gone to... Washington, D.C. about a month ago, yes. and it spurred one of my favorite cases, which is the Chandra Levy case, it spurred oh, thoughts of that, yes. and it's one of my favorite cases, I mean, part of it is, oh yes, it's another, just another missing woman, but there were some weird twists and turns, and I always love it when a person in power is exposed to be a hypocrite and a dipshit, and that it, that never guilty or not, a congressman was, so... This is another one where there's a lot of twists and turns, so you have to bear with me, and um, let's hope we can stay on track. I always bear with I know you do. I appreciate it. In April 2001, Chandra Levy was 24 and ready to take on the world. she just finished an internship in Washington, D.C. with the Federal Bureau of Prisons and was on her way home to Modesto, California, to participate in her grad school graduation on May 11th. She'd finished her graduate studies at the University of Southern California in December with a degree in public administration, and she she hoped to work for the FBI or CIA, she told her friends. Hmm. But there were also some bumps in the road, typical for someone her age. Her internship had ended suddenly when bureau officials found out she'd finished her studies, which meant she was no longer eligible for it. She was hoping it would go on a little longer. Even more on her mind seemed to be her relationship with Congressman Gary Condit, a Democrat who represented her district in California. Although she didn't tell people, she didn't tell most people that's who her relationship was with, she did talk about her relationship and how it was troubling her. On April 27th, a Friday, a few days before Chandra was due to leave for California, she spent the evening with an acquaintance, Robert Kirkjian, and his friends. Kirkjian, 28, was also from California. Chandra had met him at the gym, and he filled in as her beard at an inaugural ball four months earlier, on tickets provided by her quote powerful boyfriend unquote and for those of you too young to know what a beard is that's a kind of a fake date fake boyfriend or fake girlfriend when you your real orientation or your real it boyfriend happens often on TV shows sitcoms especially <laughs> especially on sitcoms Leading to but she needed a date and it was the inaugural ball this was well, 2001 where where it, was it was W and W, but w. Still. and when they went to get the ticket she had him park around the corner from the pickup spot. Kirkjian later told the Washington Post he wondered why the boyfriend wasn't taking Chandra to the ball himself. Duh. <laughs> Duh, yeah. That April night, Chandra was upset and disappointed that she was leaving Washington, particularly the boyfriend. She told Kirkjian he was a congressman, but they had a five-year plan. He was going to give up his seat. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Every girl falls for the old five-year plan one. Become a lobbyist. Leave his wife and marry Chandra. She was supposed to keep the relationship secret for now, though. Kirkjean was stunned by Chandra's naivety and told her so, according to the Post. Yeah. But Chandra refused to believe it. How, oh, Excuse me, it's sorry to interrupt. How old was she again? 24. 24. Okay. But Chandra refused to believe Kirkjean's skepticism, not the five-year plan. And that's part of a 2008 series that the Washington Post did on the Chandra Levy that we'll post on our, put a link to on our website, because it's a really good multi-chapter series that's just rich with a lot of good information, mm. even though it doesn't have the final chapter, which we'll get to at the end. She was in love, she said, and her boyfriend was promising it would all work out, the Post wrote. Chandra wanted to stay and keep talking about her relationship that night, but Kirkjian was sleepy, and honestly, what young man wants to hear a pretty young girl moon over some old guy who's taking advantage of her? And that's me saying that not the Washington Post. (laughs) He got her a cab around 1 a.m. Ingmar Guadique, meanwhile, was also having a tough time in April of 2001. He also lived in Washington, D.C., a few miles from Chandra and near Rambling Rock Creek Park. Guadique was an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador. His father had been kidnapped and executed by guerrillas in El Salvador before Guadique was born. He lived in a dirt floor shack and hoped for a better life in the U.S. He got help sneaking into the country, swimming across the Rio Grande, and eventually joining his brother in Washington in July 2000. He worked construction but struggled with alcohol and drugs, and reportedly abused his girlfriend. By the time Chandra was packing to go home to California, Vadik had fathered a child with a girl he no longer was in a relationship with, had a new girlfriend, the two of them lived with the girlfriend's mother. Hmm. He didn't speak much English and was less than committed to his construction job. Shortly before the last day of Chandra Levy's life, he beat up his girlfriend and her mother threw him out of the house. He was bunking in with his landlady and according to the Post, quote, split from his girlfriend and moved in with his landlady and was about to be fired from his construction job. Mm-hmm. In early spring 2001, Guadique started to spend more time drinking and hanging around Rock Creek Park. He began to carry a six-inch knife wrapped in a red cloth.
1: Hmm.
0: That does not sound like it's going to lead to anything good. No. So this is Maureen again, as opposed to the Washington Post. <laughs> He and Levy were only a few years and a few miles apart, but their lives couldn't have been much more different on the warm May day that she was killed. She'd apparently spent a quiet weekend packing and preparing to leave for California, aside from the evening she spent at Kirchens. She talked to her aunt on April 29th. That would have been my 40th birthday. Yeah. Not that that's relevant. Telling her she was going to leave in a few days and she had big news, but she didn't say what it was. Late at night on April 30th, Chandra sent her mother an email about plane fares. By 2 a.m., that would have been on May 1st, she was researching an Amtrak cross-country trip and also looked at a number of websites dealing with her California congressman, Gary Condit, and his family. Mm. Later in the morning, Levy spent more time on the laptop, again looking up Conda and his family, the Baskin-Robbins ice cream franchise, and remember that um, when we get to the end because there's an interesting detail about that, and the website for Rock Creek Park including a page on the park's website that showed the Kringle Mansion, where the park office was. Hmm. That same page also showed park trails and had a trail map. Chandra was supposed to keep her relationship a secret, but how many young girls in love can keep it a secret? Monica couldn't. Well, funny you should mention Monica Lewinsky, because Condit was one of the few Democrats who wanted Congress to pursue impeachment against Bill Clinton because of the whole Monica Lewinsky affair. And by the way, Condit also... (laughs) had a photo of Newt Gingrich up in his office. So, you know. Chandra had told her aunt, Linda Zamsky, who lived in Maryland and looked out for Chandra while she was in D.C., about Condit and their five-year plan, but said she also had to pretend she didn't know him when she visited his building. She told Zamsky Condit had given her a gold bracelet, among other things. Did she, sorry to interrupt, but did she, not really. Did she tell her aunt who it was, or just she told yes, her about Yes, oh. apparently she did. But the aunt... Before Chandra disappeared, didn't say anything about that. Gary Conda had a busy weekend, too. His wife Carolyn was in town for the weekend to attend a function for First Lady Laura Bush. Hmm. Conda alternated between working and dining and shopping with his wife. Chandra was due back in California early in the week. When she didn't arrive, her parents, Robert an oncologist, and Susan, an artist, became worried. On May 6th, they called the police and made a missing person report. The last time they'd heard from her was an email about flight costs, the one at 2 a.m. on May 1st, and they expected her home well in advance of her May 11th USC grad school graduation. The Levies went through Chandra's cell phone records and found a huge amount of calls to what turned out to be Gary Condon's uh. office. At the time, they didn't know she was having an affair with the 15 three-year-old married father of two, though she'd hinted to them and others about her high-powered older boyfriend. She told her mom that he looked like Harrison Ford, who she had a huge crush on. Ugh, he did I know, not. I know, And it's funny, later in the Washington Post series, it says when the mom finally met him, although you'd think, since he was their congressman, she'd know what he looked like, she's like, ugh, he doesn't look like Harrison Ford at all. Ugh. But maybe she'd never seen him in person. Susan Levy called Condit's home and his wife, Carol, answered. She was back from D.C. at that point, and so was Gary. She put Gary on the phone, and he told Susan that he knew Chandra slightly. He'd given her career advice when yeah, she had called his office. On May 7th, Robert Levy told police that Chandra was having an affair with Condit. Police talked to Condit on May 8th, and he told them he had not spoken to Levy in about a week, and they were just friends. Mm. Meanwhile, Ingmar Gandik also had a red-letter day on May 7th. He broke into a neighbor's apartment. She screamed, and he fled, but she recognized him, and police picked him up a short time later he had screwdrivers other burglary tools and a ring that belonged to her he was arrested charged with burglary and released with a may twenty ninth court date back to chandras police on may night searched levy's apartment her cell phone and id all her bank and credit cards were still there the only things missing as far as her family could tell were her keys and a ring that she wore all the time An officer with no computer expertise tried to access the history on her laptop and did something to mess it up, setting back police ability to search the memory more than a month. They would not know until June that she had looked at information about Rock Creek Park the day she disappeared. Gary Condit at the time was a guy with a secret, as we know. A California conservative Democrat, they called themselves Blue Dog Democrats, was known for touting, quote, family values, unquote. He met Chandra when she and a friend visited his office in September 2000. He had offered to show them around Washington and took a shine to Chandra, and it wasn't long before the two were having a full-blown affair. While some news outlets now, all these years later, still refer to it as a alleged affair, even Condit eventually admitted it was going on in 2001, though he didn't at first. Brad Garrett, a former FBI agent who was a lead investigator in Chandra Levy's case, and not the actor, I right, know. <laughs> Told Everybody ABC, loves Raymond. And he was also great in Fargo season, too. <laughs> told ABC News last November that Levy, quote, led a very isolated life once she started this relationship with Gary because the only time she'd really see him were after hours. Her life basically going to work, back home, and then to Gary's house. When Aww. Chandra's parents visited her, she seemed happy, according to her father. But she had this secret friend she went out with. Her parents wouldn't learn until after her death, as we know now, that it was Condit. Police never came right out and said he was a suspect, but the expected media circus surrounded Condit. This is from a November 2016 recent ABC News report. Condit's adult son, Chad Condit, said he always knew his father was innocent. Quote, This is a guy that wouldn't kill a fly, he said. I knew he had done nothing wrong, illegally wrong, Chad Condit added, so I wasn't concerned from that standpoint. Now, I was concerned politically, here's a guy that's been in politics for 30 years almost, never charged with anything, very popular, done the right thing all along. Except for having an affair with with a young young girl. So from a political PR standpoint, it was very difficult, unquote. Susan Levy told 2020 that she met with Gary Connett shortly after her daughter's disappearance and asked him, did you kill my daughter? Of course he said no, she said, and we'll get to that meeting in a few minutes. But the media frenzy that surrounded Chandra Levy's disappearance angered many, who said, rightly, that it was another case of an attractive young white woman being the focus of national attention when so many others vanished with little or no notice. And they're right. They're right, yeah. But part of it had to do with how the Levy's approached the case. When they saw what they were up against, they contacted the Carol Sund Carrington Memorial Reward Foundation, a nonprofit group based in their hometown of Modesto, that was created after three hikers were found slain in Yosemite National uh, Park was, in 1999. I remember that? Remember right. that? Yes. that was yeah. Grizzly. Uh, this is off on the tangent, but wasn't the guy that killed them the Corey. brother of the ki- the kid that was My Name is Steven? Yes. 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 We should do that sometime in well, this podcast. A lot of done, really well, so that doesn't mean we can't, right? It's so strange. I know, anyway. it was strange. But that that group was an expert at bringing the case to the media, and the Levies were schooled by them in what to do things that we take for granted now years later. They held a candlelight vigil May 15th in Modesto and handed out Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, her favorite Mm, candy, as an attention getter. They held news conferences and kept the case in the limelight. You have to remember, her father was an oncologist Mm -hmm. and they were a well-to-do family. And I'm not saying that makes it more fair they got the attention, but they forced the attention and they could afford to jet back and forth across... And I think that people, rightly or wrongly, that are in the higher tier of society somebody that is wealthy and that they have a certain amount of power and they have a certain amount of entitlement they don't mind demanding that, the that attention yeah, that other people would be they don't, don't mind to, yeah they don't they demand. don't have a problem and also, going like said, and saying i want this and i want that and I they want had to do this and they had the means to find yeah. out how to get that attention yeah. and they also had gary condit yeah, which well, who's a newsmaker? I mean, the which fact a lot that of, he's involved in the, the fact that he was involved with their daughter right. brought the news people. It right. Brought the news people. And it's also so juicy. It's one thing when some sleaze dog mm-hmm. is accused. But when some guy who's always touting his family yeah. values and what a high, you know, fucking high moral horse he's on. It's always those guys. It's I know, always it's always them. those guys. In any case, after the May 15th vigil... Now, Chandra had been missing for two weeks at this point. They flew to Washington, D.C. Now, this is from the Washington Post. The Levies concluded that the story of their missing daughter, which had received scant notice in Washington, needed national attention from the news. The Levies visited Chandra's apartment. For two and a half hours, they met with FBI agents and D.C. police officials, including lead detective Ralph Durant and the chief of detectives, Jack Barrett. So that's, you know, they were, had the means to do that. A yeah. lot of people wouldn't. A Washington Post story the day after their arrival described the couple as fuming at the lack of cooperation from the D.C. police. A friend told reporters they had no idea what's going on with the investigation. Now, this is another case where this happens to a lot of people, but the Levy's, again, had the wherewithal to get the media involved and to force police to start paying attention. Mm -hmm. Executive Assistant Police Chief Terrence W. Gaynor defended his department and this is the Washington Post, and the former Chicago homicide detective told reporters that he understood the couple's frustrations. They're looking for answers, and we don't have them yet, he said. The Post story also contained the first statement about the case from the Levy's hometown congressman, Gary Condit, who had added $10,000 to a reward fund. Chandra is a great person and a good friend, Condit said. We Ah. hope she is found safe and sound. Condit's relationship with Chandra had not yet surfaced publicly. That was about to change. This is also from the Washington Post 2008 series on the case. Quote, Reporters were hearing from their police sources that Condit had an ongoing relationship with Chandra and Condit's aides were trying to knock down the rumors. A romance between the two totally did not occur, Michael Lynch, Condit's chief of staff in Modesto, told reporters. On May 17th, the second full day in Washington, they went to Capitol Hill to meet with their state senators, Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein. Then they held a news conference, the story was perfect for prime time. This is the Washington Post. CNN and Dateline NBC began to air pieces about the missing intern. The Chandra Levy media frenzy was beginning. At 5.10 that afternoon, the Levy's had another meeting with D.C. police. Susan Levy told them that she had a cryptic conversation with her daughter the previous month. Chandra had said she was dating someone, but she wouldn't say who. He's highly visible. You'll understand in five years, she had told her mother. On May 14th. Hallie Schilling, 30, was attacked while on her daily run through Rock Creek Park. At this time, remember, police still didn't know Chandra had planned to go to the park. They hadn't been able to access her computer history. Schilling was listening to her Walkman when she passed a young Hispanic-looking guy sitting on a wall. She didn't notice when he followed her, but about a mile later, she felt like someone was behind her, and thinking it was another runner, she slowed to let them pass. Gandhi jumped her, landing on her back. He wrestled her to the ground, shushing her when she screamed at the sight of his knife. She'd taken a self-defense class years earlier and used what she'd learned, jamming her fingers into his mouth and digging her nails beneath his tongue, according to the 2008 Post story. Gandhi ran off. She reported him at the Park Police Station, saying she didn't believe he intended to rob her. He didn't take the Walkman or her expensive engagement ring with a huge diamond on it. She was sure he was trying to rape or kill her. On May 18th, police convened a meeting with the FBI. They drew up a list of suspect areas, among them Chandra's Gym, the Bureau of Prisons, where she interned, Robert Kirkjian, one of the last people to spend time with her. He was the friend who she yes. met at the gym from California, who she, whose shoulder she cried on about Condit. His roommates, a group of men the detectives, had dubbed the Pizza Party Acquaintances. Mm-hmm. FBI agents later gave polygraphs to Kirkjian and one of his roommates, and they determined that they had nothing to do with her disappearance. The task force also listed Sven Jones, a colleague of Chandra's at the Bureau of Prisons, who worked out at the same gym the Washington Sports Club. Chandra made her last cell phone call to him three days before she disappeared. With rugged good looks, Jones painted and sculpted in his spare time and liked to quote Nietzsche. He sounds like a real (laughs) dick. (laughs) Jones cooperated with the police and told them that he and Chandra were friends and that she had told him about her affair with someone powerful in government. He also said he was in Canada with his girlfriend on the day Chandra called him. Detectives found that Jones was crossing the Canadian border around the time of Chandra's disappearance. He took a polygraph past and was excluded as a suspect. They listed one more suspect area, Condit, whom they referred to as the CM for the congressman. The same day the task force met, the Post published a story that added more details about the rumors of an affair between Chandra and Condit. It quoted Assistant Police Chief Ronald Monroe the saying Chandra had visited Condit's apartment more than a couple times. Police Chief Charles H. Ramsey tried to tamp down the story. He told reporters that Monroe's statement was inaccurate, even though behind the scenes, Condit had told Ramsey's detectives that Chandra had visited him at his apartment several times, spending the night on at least a couple of occasions. Quote, My assistant chief was speaking of a rumor, Ramsey said, and there is nothing we have that confirms the young lady was at the congressman's apartment. So that's all from the Washington Post series. This is me again. By June, they still hadn't found her body. Searches included Woods near Condit's condo, though police said the search there had nothing to do with him. Condit, according to the Post, was concerned about leaks from the police to the media. Police wanted to interview him again, but he didn't want to because of the leaks. On June 14th, the held another press conference, asking Condit to reveal all he knew. And on June 21st, Susan Levy confronted him at a secret meeting police had set up. That's the one where she asked him if he had killed her daughter, and he said no, he hadn't. When Connor asked if he could hug Susan, <laughs> she responded, absolutely not. <laughs> I was <just> <laughs> no, get away from me, please. I mean, even if he did kill her daughter, he let her on and Ew. had an affair with her, right? Jump ahead to July 1st. Chrissy Wygan and her boyfriend were jogging in the park. They weren't together when Wigan, like Schilling, sensed someone was behind her. Before she could react, he'd wrapped his arms around her, and they went tumbling down a steep ravine. He held a knife to her throat, and she screamed. The Post writes, She couldn't believe how fast it had happened. Ten seconds earlier, she was jogging peacefully along the path. Now she was fighting for her life, terrified that she was about to be raped and killed. She stopped struggling for a few seconds, and the attacker let down his guard, relaxing his hold. Wagon started fighting again and began to scream. The attacker fled, disappearing into the woods. She was bruised, cut, and shaken, and she flagged down a passing motorist after she got out of the ravine. And he took her to park police, he or she, and she described her attacker to them. They set out looking, and 45 minutes later, they picked up Gondik on a street nearby, and he was wet and covered with leaves. His story (laughs) was that he was jogging, he hurt his knee, he bent over to rub it, and she accidentally bumped into him, and they both fell down the ravine, and she screamed when he tried to help her. Uh Uh-huh. Then they asked him about the May 14th shilling attack. He said it was the same type of thing. She looked over her shoulder and fell. He tripped over her. She screamed, all a big misunderstanding. But he was eventually charged with both attacks. At this point, police still didn't know, and this was... The 1st of July, police still didn't know the Chandra Rock Creek Park connection. More on that in a few minutes. Meanwhile, on July 2nd, a flight attendant went public with her relationship about Conant. Ann Marie Smith said they'd had an ongoing relationship for several years, including while he was seeing Chandra Levy. Another woman who had worked for him, a young woman, said she gave him a watch, a very expensive watch, and police who were following Condit, they followed him out to the suburbs where he got out of the car and threw something away, and after he left, they went to see what it was, and it was a box for a very expensive watch, but nothing else. So he was kind of his own worst enemy in a lot of these things. On July 4th, he missed the 4th of July Parade in Modesto for the first time in nearly 20 years. They said he had other engagements. And on July 5th, Chandra's aunt Linda Zamsky went public with the details of what Chandra had told her about her relationship with Condit. She said Chandra had last talked to him on April 29th, the same day she told her aunt she had big news. And on July 6th, they interviewed Condit for the third time, where he still denied they were having an affair. The problem was, police, when they searched her apartment on May 9th or 10th, found panties with semen on them, and DNA had just showed that it was Condit. So they had trouble getting a DNA match, I mean, a DNA sample from him. They finally got one through surreptitious means, and it showed that the semen belonged to Condit. And police said later that if he hadn't lied so much and, quote, was going goofy, unquote, on them all the time, maybe they would have been able to clear his name or stop bugging him so much. The media frenzy was ongoing, nonstop, all the time. Yes. Dozens of camera crews camped out in front of their house daily. There were people who were actually getting frustrated with the attention on Condit, besides Condit and his family. A woman named Karen Mosley had gone for a hike in Rock Creek Park with her dog in late May, when a young man, who appeared to be Hispanic, exposed himself to her. She took off and told a park cop, who told her she was lucky. There was a predator attacking women in the park. This is in May. On July 20th, D.C. police were told about Mosley, but she said they never contacted her that summer. And the post in its 2008 story says, quote, As Chandra's disappearance turned into a round-the-clock news story in mid-July, Mosley grew frustrated by the intense coverage of conduct. It was making me crazy, she recalled. The entire focus was on this guy. I kept saying to my friends, they're not focusing on the guy in the woods detectives in the Levy case would not pursue the information about Ingmar Gandhi for another two months and Mosley said she was finally interviewed in September and that was more than three months after the guy had exposed himself and by then she was unable to identify him. Now on July 25th police cadets finally searched Rock Creek Park led there by the history on Chandra's laptop that showed that she may have planned to visit it that day. In August Gary Condit granted an interview to ABC's Connie Chung it was last public interview he'd do for more than 15 years. And the interview watched by 24 million people, I think including this one, me, I, I remember. I watched it, I would think it would have been something I would have watched. Right. But guy. Conant said he did not harm or kill Chandra and that he had nothing to do with her disappearance. When asked if he had a sexual relationship with Chandra Levy, Gary Conant repeatedly refused to answer, quote, I've been married for 34 years, he said. I've not been a perfect man, and I've made my share of mistakes. But out of respect for my family and out of a specific request from the Levy family, I think it's best that I not get into those details about Chandra Levy. Gary Conant said he was not in love with Chandra and was not leaving his wife. Quote, I only knew Chandra Levy for five months, he said. And in that five months period, we never had a discussion about a future, about children, about marriage. Gary Condit said when he was questioned by police, he answered every question truthfully. Quote, I worked with the law enforcement people in every step, provided them information in every interview, and gave up a lot of my civil liberties to make sure that they had all the information that they needed, he said. I told them everything they asked, answered every question, and I did nothing to slow down that investigation. It turns out the Levy family, according to Chandra's mother, never asked Condit to not talk about the affair, (laughs) and in fact was hoping as much information as possible would be discussed, So they could find out what had happened to their daughter. Despite Condit's assertion that he cooperated fully with police, Garrett, the FBI agent, said he was, quote, at first not helpful. It took a number of interviews, unquote, before he finally admitted he was having an affair with her. But Garrett also says he doesn't think Condit was involved in her murder. What would his motive be in harming her, Garrett asked ABC. (laughs) His life was going on. He was still married. He was still a congressman. She was somebody that was passing through his life. Now, did he care for her? I think so. But there was just no indication of, why would he do anything to her? Garrett said the congressman had called Levy's phone at her apartment after she disappeared, and if you listen to him, it sounds like he was looking for her, Garrett said, and cared enough about her that he'd really like to know what happened. Now, to me, that sounds really naive for an FBI agent. In fact, it's almost like Garrett gives a motive while saying there wasn't one. She was just passing through his life, meant nothing. Yet she told friends and family they had a five-year plan. She was on her way back home. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that she confronted him and maybe even said she'd expose the affair. That's been plenty of motive for murder before. Well it would ruin his whole career. I know. Especially his image as a yeah. family man. He'd never lost an election at all ah. in his political career. Leaving messages on our machine too sounds like he's looking for our oldest trick in the book. Mm. And I'm surprised Garrett would think that. I know, pre- all the, I know. All those I life tellers the, they always do doesn't that. Doesn't he watch 48 Hours in Dateline? I, I know, they doing that. I know. So that just feels really naive. I mean, I'm not saying that that's proof Condit did no, anything. No, I'm just saying, and I'm not it's saying a, it's that it's am weird thing to say. Right, I'm not saying Garrett's wrong when he says he doesn't think Condit was involved. But I think it's odd for him to give that up There's as reason, proof. Yeah. Oh, we called. cold, No shit, they always do that. Something else happened in August of two thousand one. A jailhouse snitch told police that Ingmar Ghadi told him he'd killed Levy. In July he pleaded guilty to two attacks in the park. On September eleventh, two thousand one, the Levies were set to go on Oprah. What happened then? Yeah, I'm yeah. Wait till you wait till you hear what happened. (laughs) The Levies were set to go on Oprah to talk about their daughter. Chad Condit was set to go on the view to defend his dad. That all changed, of course. Any documentary Uh, about this case shows the Twin Towers on fire. We don't have video, so you'll just have to imagine it. The Levy's comment, the entire case went the way of what we used to call the union leader... We used to call it the Danville monkey because in the summer of 2001 in New Hampshire, the pet monkey had disappeared <laughs> and it was it had disappeared for a couple weeks and on September 11th, and it was a big, big story because that's the kind of stories we did. The shark attacks were a big story, they were, the but too. we didn't have any of those in yeah, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. The Merrimack River was Hampshire not Beach shark friendly. Yeah. A crew from Good Morning America was actually on its way to Danville to do a story on the Danville monkey when the <laughs> Twin Towers, when the whole September Poor 11th thing oh happened did they ever find the monkey? nobody ever thought about the monkey again Aww. and that's why we used to call stories that seemed big before 9-11 at the union leader we used to call them the Danville monkey yes. because it was so big 9-11 happened rightfully so and nobody ever thought about the monkey nobody ever wrote about the Aww. monkey nobody ever looked for the monkey and that was kind of what happened to the levies yeah, gary Condon, and chandra levy them. but not totally The information from the jailhouse snitch slowly made its way to police, and on September 21st, the U.S. attorney and D.C. police questioned him. This is the Washington Post 2008 account of that meeting. And I know I'm relying a lot on the Washington Post, but they've done a really thorough job of covering this case, and I want to give them the credit. Mm -hmm. Gondik was shown a picture of Chandra. He said the only place he had ever seen her was on television. That contradicted what a former Park Police detective later told the Washington Post. Joe Green mean who, Joe Green. <laughs> <laughs> I think of that commercial with little here. kid commercial. Yeah, we're old yeah. people We are so old. Joe Green, who interrogated Gandhique on july second, said at the time he showed Chandra's picture to Gandhi in the Salvador and said he had seen her in the park. Green was present at the meeting in the U. S. Attorney's Office. To this day, and that this was two thousand and eight, Green does not remember that meeting or whether he passed on to DC police or prosecutors the information he said he got from Gondique. I should have said something Green would later comment. Uh. So they have a guy who's been arrested for attacking two women in Rock Creek Park, pretty violently attacking them. They both have a a possible connection to Chandra Levy, even though they haven't found her body and don't really know what happened to her, but they don't pursue it. Nobody thinks it has anything to do with her. In October, police interviewed the informant, at the time of the 2008 post-series, they were withholding his name to protect him. In the in the later case against Gandhique, which we'll get to, says the jailhouse informant prosecutors hung the 2010 case on was Armando Morales. But he talked to Gondik in 2006. So this must have been a different jailhouse snitch. This one told police that Gondik told him he killed Levy and that Condit had paid him $25,000 to do it. Ooh. He said Condit pulled up next to him on the street, asked him if he'd do it, gave him her photo and the location where he'd find her. He got drunk and took drugs to prepare himself for the attack, went to the park, saw her jogging, jumped her, stabbed her, and carried her body deep into the woods, dug a grave, and buried her in it. Some of that story will be eerily familiar when her body's found. He said he left the knife in her body and sent the $25,000 to his family in El Salvador. So this is a jailhouse snitch telling police what Ingmar Gundy allegedly told them. Interesting. Law, that was right, that was, this was summer October summer, or the fall of 2001. Okay. Right. So Law enforcement right. involved in the case all considered the part about conduct ridiculous, according to the Post account. But they yes. still wondered if Gondik was involved. After all, he had brutally attacked two women in the park around the Ooh. same time Levy had disappeared. <laughs> <Dye>. <laughs> I wonder if it's him. In November, they gave the informant a polygraph, and he reportedly showed deception when asked if Gandhi yeah. told him he stabbed Levy. And if he told him Condit had given him $25,000 to do it, the fact he spoke little English didn't help. Uh, Yeah, it's like, how can you even know know, know know what the results are when the person can't? And also, in February 2002, they polygraphed Gandhi. His answers to questions about killing Levy were inconclusive, but they didn't show deception. It was determined. Shortly after that, he was sentenced for the attacks on Halle Schilling and Chrissy Weigand the two women attacked in Rock Creek Park in the summer of 2001 here again is the washington post account a court-ordered report noted gandike had a wide range of behavioral alcohol and drug problems when i'm about to commit an offense i tell myself to go ahead and do it but afterwards i feel bad about it Gandhi said through a translator in the report i feel good when i see something that's a court report i feel good when i see someone alone and carrying something of value on their person because it makes it easy for me to take it from them. Mm -hmm. Then it crosses my mind that after doing it so many times, I will eventually get caught. Sometimes I cannot control myself when I see someone alone in a secluded area with something of value. The prosecutor, Christina Ament, told the judge that Gantique was a cooperative defendant. She said that he spoke to prosecutors and police about the Chandra Levy case as part of his plea agreement, and that he passed a polygraph exam that asked if he knew anything about her disappearance. Ahmed said Gandhi cleared his name by taking the polygraph. In other words, I know, I know, it's bullshit. And polygraphs, I think, are bullshit anyway. They're bullshit, but also I can understand them as a technique, right, to, to get to, information, to get or to yeah, to manipulate somebody kind of into telling you the truth. But I can't see relying on them as to as clear a measure, someone's name. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. D.C. Superior Court Judge Noel Antikel Kramer said, in other words, there's no suggestion that he is involved in the Chandra Levy case. There is no suggestion at this point now that he is involved, I meant the prosecutor said, and his polygraph went a long way in diffusing that suggestion. That's ridiculous. Now, you have to remember, at this point, Chandra Levy's body hasn't been found. They had... Later that summer of 2001, searched Rock Creek Park after they got into her computer and saw that she... But they didn't find anything. The judge said she never believed that Gandhi had anything to do with Chandra's disappearance. This is such a satellite issue, Kramer said. I never for a moment thought that he had anything to do with Chandra leaving. Well, that's good, Judge. Here's what Gandhi's two victims had to say in court, according to the Washington Post. Quote, I reject the notion that he intended to simply rob me, Hallie Schilling told the judge that day. This attack was a physical one, pure and simple. He stalked me for a mile. He attacked me with a knife. We struggled on the ground. He left my valuables on the path when he fled. I do not doubt for a second that, given the chance, he would repeat this crime against another woman. Mm -hmm. I would request that this person be given the harshest possible sentence for his crime. Weigand spoke next, his other victim, that summer. Being attacked by Mr. Gondike was a terrifying experience, and it changed me, and it changed how I will view the world, she said. I completely agree that, given the opportunity, Mr. Gondike will attack another woman. In May 2002, a year after Chandra disappeared, her remains were found down a ravine in Rock Creek Park by a man walking his dog. Robert Palmer liked to collect animal bones and other things yeah. found in the woods. And when he saw her skull, Why? he... Why? Because he's a scientific guy who likes... Oh, okay. not like little animal bones oh, right. and artifacts. Whatever. Fossils. When he saw her skull, he thought at first it was a turtle shell. When mm. it turned out not to be, he marked the area with a dog leash and went to get the police. Ah, good guy. U.S. Park Police Sergeant Dennis Bozak, the first guy on the scene, took one look and thought, Ingmar Gadig has been here, the Post reported in 2008. Quote, the crime scene, tucked away between the Western Ridge Trail and Broad Branch Road, was eerily similar to the site along Beach Drive where Christy Weigand was attacked a year earlier. Found scattered at the scene, in about a 10-yard radius near the base of a tree, down a steep ravine, besides the remains, which were now bones, obviously, were a red arrow sports bra, a pair of Victorian secret panties, a pair of pro-spirit black stretch pants that were turned inside out with each leg knotted, a dirty gray hmm. t-shirt, size small, also turned inside out, Imprinted on it were red letters, Property of USC Athletics. Also at the scene was a cassette player, a Walkman, hmm. which we all had back then, and a white Reebok jogging shoe. All her bones weren't found, just some of them. Yeah, well, critters probably. Well... You'll hear more. The medical examiner found no evidence of bullets, stab marks, or skull fractures on the bones that they'd found. He couldn't determine whether she was strangled, but said the hyoid bone in her neck had been damaged, according to the post. And that often happens when people are strangled. Mm -hmm. Still, the case was now officially a homicide. Police searched for a week, including using cadaver dogs, and found more small bones and teeth, a sock, and a lipstick case with lipstick intact. Once they were done, the Levy's private investigators searched. In less than two hours, they found what turned out to be Chandra's left tibia, about 25 yards from where Palmer had first found her skull. You may wonder why all this wasn't found by the squad of police cadets who searched the park for her a year before. The deputy police chief even said after the remains were found, quote, we were just a tad above the body, unquote. Mm -hmm. Well, Assistant Police Chief Arthur Broadbent, who had been in charge of the search the summer before, cited the difficult terrain as part of the reason the remains weren't found. Um, this is Rock Creek Park in the middle of Washington mm-hmm. DC. It's not it's friggin' not like the main wilderness. And, main... and also, wah wah, you know, the guy with this dog found the I mean, I know he wasn't looking Well, good. it turned out that the original searchers the summer before were told to search a hundred yards off every road and trail. Broadbent, once they got to the scene, decided that they were only gonna search a hundred yards off every road. So they didn't search off the trails and Chandra's body was found, or her her remains, were found off a trail. Police initially focused on the private investigators and dog walker asking them if they'd moved the bones instead of blaming their shoddy search. You know, the investigators and dog walker hadn't moved the bones, of course. course Police teams went back after the investigators found those bones and found some more, including Chandra's femur, which the Post points out, and we know is the largest bone in the human body, that's your thigh bone, Mm -hmm. about 170 feet away from the crime scene. We all know in the woods critters tend to move remains around, so that would account for the bones being scattered. But you'd think police, even big city ones, not country ones, would know that too. Yeah. After the findings, Focus turned back on Condique. Attempts to now interview his family, friends, and associates were difficult. Many of them only spoke Spanish. It was a year later, a lot of people had moved around and because they're poor and many undocumented men and immigrants, they're hard to track down. The detectives investigating by the way only spoke English. In July of but, but 2000, you, think, you know, <laughs> Washington DC, I guess there aren't I any guess the... translators or people like that. In July 2002, police determined the spot where Gandhi attacked shilling was an easy walk from where Chandra's remains were found. In August, police finally got around to interviewing the woman who'd been Gandhi's girlfriend at the time of Chandra Levy's disappearance and the woman's mother, as well as their neighbors. They were told he drank, he'd been violent toward his girlfriend, and he'd been kicked out of his apartment in late April 2001, shortly before Levy disappeared. They decided they needed to look at Gandhi's belongings for clues, but now, more than a year after he'd been arrested for the two other attacks, no one knew where they were. Alicia Poteet, around this time, was appointed as a new prosecutor in the case. She assigned two bilingual detectives, and things began to move a little more quickly. Yeah, I know. The Washington Post was getting busy, too. In October 2002, when the Post found no police had interviewed Gondik's former landlady, the Post did it. She told the Post she'd seen Gondik with facial injuries in late April, early May 2001, and he told her they came from a fight with his girlfriend, who the Post described as wayfish. Ooh. Which means tiny and frail. Yeah. She also said, the landlady, that Gandhi didn't go to work the day Levy disappeared. She said he'd left his belongings in a stairwell in two garbage bags, including the T shirt and pants he wore all the time. Ugh. But she didn't maintenance men throw them out. It turned out Later, the guy who was supposed to throw them out was Juan the Pig Escobar, an acquaintance of Gandhi. He'd still had the belongings the first time police interviewed him a while before. In the investigation, I think, of the attacks in the park. But by the second time they got to him, when the focus turned more toward Gandhi, he'd thrown them away. In 2006, so this is 2002 now, and things are kind of stumbling along. Mm-hmm. Gondik's in jail for the two attacks, and he was sentenced to 10 years, so he's away, in their Stumbling through the investigation, in 2006, another jailhouse snitch, five-time convicted felon Armando Morales, said Gondik told him he killed Levy because he thought she had money in a fanny pack he said she was wearing. He told Morales, allegedly, that he stabbed Chandra, grabbed the fanny pack, and ran. He made the point to Morales, though... Morales said that he hadn't raped her. He was on his way to federal prison, and he was afraid his prison mates wouldn't treat him well if they thought he'd raped Chandra Levy.
1: Hmm.
0: In 2009, after police pursued this information and investigated more, Gondik was finally charged with Levy's murder, and he was convicted and sentenced to 66 years in prison in 2010, with Morales' testimony being the prime evidence against him. As the Washington Post reported last year, they had no forensic evidence, eyewitnesses, or murder weapon. Instead, they built a circumstantial case largely on the testimony of the two female joggers with Morales as their key witness. Mm. So, in late 2012, attorneys for Gandhi asked for a new trial, arguing that Morales had lied when he testified at trial that he had never previously cooperated with law enforcement authorities as an informant. It turned out Morales was a frequent informant of police, they knew him well, and Gandhi's conviction was overturned in 2015 and a second trial was scheduled for just last October. In July, in preparation for the trial, attorneys for Gondik told the press that two women told police in 2001 that Condit enjoyed rough bondage sex and that the two women were going to be deposed in preparation for the trial. Quote, aggressive sex involving bondage is not an entirely safe activity, and Mr. Condit would have had a powerful motive to dispose of Miss Levy's remains. In her tights that had been tied in knots, if she died during sexual activity with Mr. Condit, Gandhi's attorneys wrote in the filing. Mm -hmm. But Assistant U.S. Attorney Deborah Sine said in court that Condit's sexual activity had nothing to do with Levy's death, and attorney's revelation was a sensational and salacious attempt to taint the jury pool. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to add that the attorneys weren't making that up. That was in the FBI interview files. of these two women who had had affairs with Kana in 2001, Mm -hmm. and it was just something that was never really pursued. So he did, did like, apparently Uh, According to these two women, who these attorneys were preparing to depose in preparation for the the trial that was going to happen in October. But also in July, Susan Levy got a Facebook message. The person sending the message, who turned out to be a minor actress on House of Cards and some other shows, Babs Proler said she had taped Morales saying he lied about Gandhi confessing to him. Levy, who had concerns and probably still does about Proler's motives, told her to go to the U.S. Attorney and the D.C. Police with the information. Proler had befriended Morales at the apartment complex where they both lived. They met when he carried her dog, Buddy, through the revolving doors when Buddy was afraid to go through them. and She thought he was a dog lover. Morales was living under an assumed name put at the apartment complex by prosecutors as he waited to testify against Gondik in his upcoming retrial. Gee, nice. Morales had testified in 2010, if you remember, that Gondik told him in 2006 that he killed Levy but didn't rape her. And he said she was wearing a fanny pack. Gondik assumed there'd be money in it, and so he attacked her and took off with the pack. Morales ID'd Gandic at the time because he went by the nickname Chucky, the killer doll from the movie Child's yeah. Play, and even did had it Did he a look ta- like him? No. He, oh. he was a skinny guy with black hair. Okay. So he did not have freckles and a red bowl cup. And But he even had Chucky tattooed on his back, but okay. it was easy to ID him because he had spelled it wrong Chacky with an A. Gandik, of course, well, had always. he didn't spell it wrong, the tattoo the two, two artist yeah. did. Maybe he couldn't understand Gandik's yeah. Salvadoran I want accent. Chucky. <laughs> I know. Oh. Gandic, of course, had always maintained to authorities and anyone who would listen that he was innocent. Well, Not everybody is. Who you know. doesn't? Proler, whose real name is B.T. Maria Brandle, became alarmed when Morales started offering to violently attack her ex-husband for Ooh, her, who funny. she'd had some issues with. She began to record their conversations in case something happened to her or her ex. as mm. protection. She said that over the course of three days, quote, he told her his life story and that he was the key witness in a murder case, something he wasn't supposed to be telling anyone. Mm. And he eventually told her, she says, that he lied when he said Gandhi confessed to him. She turned over all the recordings to authorities and they almost immediately dropped the charges against Gandhi, saying they couldn't prosecute beyond a reasonable doubt. And he was the second snitch jailhouse snitch in two thousand and six. But there was one apparently there was a snitch who hasn't been named in In late two thousand one, early two thousand two, who said Gandhi told him that Conda paid him twenty five thousand dollars to stab her and, and who, didn't, who didn't who okay. didn't speak English, but also didn't pass the polygraph, mm-hmm. and Gandhi did, and so they just dismissed that mm-hmm. snitch. It I think is. snitches are a fairly common thing. But I'm sure they're common. And that's one, our question for Matt, yeah. actually. So back to the recordings of Morales. Some of the recordings have been made public, and you may have heard them on um, various TV shows, including him bragging about killing gang rivals, making weapons, planning to harm people who wronged him. None of what's been made public has him retracting his statement that Gandhi confessed to him. Prosecutors have never said publicly what about the recordings or what other reasons they may have had to drop the charges against Gandhi so fast. But if nothing else, the recording showed that Morales wasn't telling the truth when he testified in 2010 that he'd reformed and found Jesus, and he was no longer a violent criminal. So his credibility would be shit in the new trial. And because of all the police screw-ups early in the investigation, there was nothing else to link Ganink to the crime. The fact that he seemed a likely suspect just wasn't enough to convict him on. Proler appeared on several TV shows, including 48 Hours in 2020, and she actually seems like a thoughtful, intelligent person who's sincere. You know, I know people wonder about her motives, but she did make the recordings, and she doesn't seem like a publicity hound, but you never know. She said she came forward because she felt for Susan Levy and wanted to help her. Yeah. And I think any one of us, if we had recordings yeah. like that, would come forward. I think I would have gone to the police before I would have found Susan Levy on Facebook. But, but you never know. I mean, people, you know. Susan and Bob Levy, Chandra's parents, have said that they're shocked the case was dropped so fast and they're back at square one. Uh. Meanwhile, Condit, on Dr. Phil in October, yeah. and you remember the last public interview he ever had was with Connie Chung, In August of 2001, where he wouldn't really say they had an affair, denied it, although he later admitted to police that they had an affair. And I just want to make that clear. Police say there was an affair. The family says there was an affair. There's actually no doubt that he and Levy had an affair. He lost his next election, or withdrew. I'm not sure, but he no, he got he was no longer about yeah, the politics. I think he did run and lost. And lost. But I might be wrong. But on Doctor Phil, the justice past October, he denied he and Levy ever had an affair, oh, despite on, the wealth of evidence Gary. and even his eventual admission to police in 2001 that they had. Condit said she may have been in his condo once or twice. Oh, police have found her DNA there. And you know, then there was also that pesky semen on her underpants that matched his DNA. So uh, He said he was being set up and it was scary and there were things going on that were beyond his control. He also, coincidentally, before this interview with Dr. Phil, had come out with a book with help from a co-author. It was called Actual Malice, a true crime political thriller. So that may be why he broke his silence. As we authors know, you got to get out there and get the publicity yeah, and get your face out there. Come and, on. Know. He said he didn't want to write the book, but his kids urged him to, his adult children urged him to, to get his side of the story out there. In a weird possible coincidence that I've never seen explored, I searched the Internet for this because it really intrigued me. I've seen mentioned that since he left political office in 2002... For a time, he owned a couple Baskin-Robbins ice cream stores in Arizona. One of the searches on Levy's computer the morning she disappeared was for Baskin-Robbins.
1: I'm not calling...
0: Yeah, but I remember something about Baskin-Robbins back then, too. I know, and I couldn't find anything. Now, everything about her case that happened that unfolded that summer obviously isn't on the Internet. It was in the infancy of newspapers, as we know. Yeah, they were very slow. They were very slow to embrace it, and when they did, they didn't put everything (laughs) But I seem to remember that that was one of the things they reported about Baskin-Robbins and that he had owned some franchises. Right, and since he left political office, he owned a couple at a point in... Arizona, and I'm not saying that there's any conspiracy or no, there's maybe, any evidence of it, but I think it's a weird coincidence that yeah. that was a search on her, and it could have been part of her search. She was obviously doing a little cyber-stalking that day, yes. looking up him, looking so up... Maybe, maybe when they talked about their five-year plan, they talked about, well, you know, we can. Yeah, I can buy you a basket, time, you can run a basket of robins yeah. for me, I mean, and, you know, every girl's dream. Who loves, doesn't love ice cream? I did, you know, they had the... Uh, and I don't know, because I haven't had Baskin-Robbins oh, in years, they but they had the best babies. chocolate chip, because it was full of little tiny do they still chocolate tell, chips. Do they there tell... must still be Baskin-Robbins around. But in any case, mm-hmm. I don't want Conda to have the last word, so I'll give it to Susan Levy. Okay. She said in a statement to ABC News regarding the October Conda interview that he is leaving out the evidence mm-hmm. that leaks him to her daughter. Mm-hmm. Quote, Chandra was secretive about her relationship with Conda," Susan Levy said. Chandra shared that her man, as she called him, was high profile, and it was best for them not to be seen together. This man told her not to carry her identification when they went out. For me, that was a red flag. And if you remember, she didn't have her ID with her when she went running, when she went to Rock Creek Park. We all want our truth, she told People Magazine last July. I want to make sure we find out the truth. My husband and I hope that justice is found for our family. And you can't really blame her for hoping that you know, Gandhique seems to me the most likely I think it's probably him. I don't think Gary Condit did it. Okay, he might have had rough sex and stuff like that, but not that I'm I don't not into that stuff and whatever. But not rough it sex seems like when you when you are you don't meet in the woods and do it Well, with your Okay, but here's my theory then. If, and I'm saying Gandhi seems the most likely yes. suspect. The reason the charges were dropped was not because they don't think he did yes, it. Yes, I know. But that yes. they can't prove They can't prove it. Yes. they can't prove yes. he did it, and you don't want him found, as we've talked to Matt yes. Nichols, asked a lawyer before. You don't want him found not guilty, and then all of a sudden at some point something comes up that proves he's the guy who did it, you can't try him again. But and I'm not saying Condit did it, but a plausible theory was he was at her apartment. They had let's say they either had rough sex or more likely she's going back to California, she thinks there's this five-year plan, she's bummed that she's going back, and she brings the whole thing up, and they have a fight, and he kills her. Or it's not beyond the realm of possibility he had somebody else kill yes. her. Then he dumps her, or has somebody else dump her in Rock Creek Park. Although, once you get more than one person involved, it's hard to keep a secret. Yeah. And And it's not even beyond the realm of possibility if that totally hypothetical thing happened that he went on her laptop later that morning and did searches yeah. to make yeah, it look, yeah. oh, I'm going to dump her in Rock Creek Park. Here, let's search for Rock Creek Park. Although, What's her history, searching for Gary Conant and his family? So I'll, so I'll look at some of that, because everybody apparently, except for that stupid D.C. cop, knows how to search a computer although, history. just to argue that, I, why, why can't I think Just one to one play one? the devil's advocate. I'll just play devil's advocate about that theory. The reason the devil's I Devil's app advocate. <laughs> the, devil's, the devil's app. My my Uber app oh, just a minute. I gotta go out and drive now. It's telling me I gotta go I'm sorry. Yeah. We shouldn't make light of that. No. I'm sorry. No, we shouldn't. People don't have that. But this is supposed to be a comedy. we are listed under comedy. So. And the only reason why don't we there go on a total no tangent? True, there like there's no true, true crime, crime category. Yeah, there isn't. So and what are we so gonna so be? We can't be news and politics because... because we're not. Come, me, on, come on.
1: You know? No, so what
0: else are we going to list ourselves under? Religion? So anyways, let me go back to... The reason I think that the Gary Connett theory, that the theory you just proposed is... Bullshit. Yes. Well, bu- not bull. I shouldn't say bullshit. That's a little strong because it could have happened. It's not impossible. Right. But I'm thinking, for okay, first of all, this whole rough sex thing. I'm not saying that they didn't have it. But I'm saying when people engage in that kind of, it's kind of like a role play um safe you, words. well also you set it up we're going to it's kind of almost like a whole thing where you're setting you set the tone you set the right. you set the stage for it and you're doing this and you're dressed like that you don't let's go in the park and i'm going to take your leggings and well, strangle you well let's say with them. it didn't happen in the park it happened in her apartment yeah, And he's why like holy shit be there because it at, was part of his setup her, in case they found her remains when there were still... Oh, okay. it, what, but what, I, I think that's very if they found remains, complicated. If they found her remains while well, okay. there were still enough to see bruises or yeah, something okay, like that. Okay, but I still think that's... It, I so I wonder, like and I work. think Gandhi is the most likely yes. suspect, but I wonder why he would take the time to knot her leggings well, you unless know he tied something. her with them down, if he was down in that deep then ravine. Then he could have raped her. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have no he doubt. The fact that no, he... No, these other two... He, that, see, my feeling about Condit... So Condit, I think, is very unlikely, even though he's a Although, frankly, back, and he he's deserved... At least honor. I have to tell you, just karma-wise, he's deserved every bad yes, fucking thing has, that's happened has. to him. And the but, fact that 15 years later, he can't honor whatever... He must have had some kind of feeling toward the girl. You know what? It's not. called a fucking hard-on. That's the feeling well, he okay. had. He, for, he apparently he has, has no feeling her a 53-year-old guy, and she was a 24-year-old... Naive pretty girl, I mean, he, and he just wanted he to can't fuck her. Even yes. not to be, not to sound cynical. I but, know, but after 15 years, you can't even admit no because he's still married and has an image to fuck him. To he's say. never going to fucking Gary Condit. You are never going to serve the public again, even though Mister Appalachian Trail got reelected, even he got reelected. <sighs> Sanford was. Sanford. His name, but I don't think he's concerned about getting reelected. I think. He's concerned about his marriage. He's he concerned about him. whatever assets he may have. He's concerned about his image. There are people, not me and you, we don't give a flying shit, but there are people in this world whose image is very important to them and how they're perceived well, by other they people. Don't do shit that's gonna hurt your image. Well, I don't think I mean you know I don't think saying? certain egotistical, self-absorbed, yeah. narcissistic men believe and I'm not saying there aren't women who are like that too. Well, I'm saying for the for for this context men like that who have affairs with young women and tell them all sorts of lies just so they can fuck them whether it's rough yeah. sex or or nice sex or you know making love or whatever the hell it is it's just they will tell them anything, dick. and they and He, he does do, deserve it. He did not. He deserves it because he's a fucking dickhead. And even if she's the only girl he's ever done this with, and frankly, I always feel she isn't. I always feel like I mean, guys I, who do isn't. who who prey on young women like this and lie to them just so they can fuck them, and they have a wife at home, they have kids at home, they're running around talking about what a fucking moral high horse they're on and family well, values. Well, that is what really. It's my goat. But they don't give a shit about that person. No. In, in fact, I think they enjoy manipulating the person. I think they enjoy the naivety. But what I can never understand is, don't they, at least in some recess of their reptilian brain, know women enough to know that if you tell this girl you have a five-year plan and you're going to leave your wife and she's, she's going to own going a bathroom. She's tell somebody. Not only is she going to tell someone, but she's going to believe this shit and it's well, not they, easy. Of course they know she's going to believe it. Because right. But she's going to, he wants her to believe it long enough so he can have sex with her. But she believed, how do they think that's going to end? I know. What do they see as the end I don't know. Maybe he ended. I know they can't see past their little five inch hard on. But what? Yeah, I don't know. They, and I, well, anyways, So, so, so you anyway, know, Gandhi agreed. probably did so it. So, Gandhi, my thing, of, this is what I feel about Gandhi. I think he did it, although I don't know if he should be convicted of it because you can't prove it. Because the police, if they had found her sooner, perhaps there would have been more evidence that they could have used. If they but, had done a lot of but things. But those other two attacks, I think he could have been a budding serial killer, if not already. The other two attacks. Those two other women were lucky they escaped They escaped life. from him. Or maybe he wasn't ready. Maybe those were, you know, how they do preliminary stuff. Right, and they, then they build up. they their way up. I mean, come on. So I think he did probably do it. I don't trust the jailhouse snitch. I'm sure he was lying about it. I don't know if the first one was probably lying about it, too. but Although the first one's story, aside from the 25 grand from Condit, which, let's say, is, is, bullshit, is just crazy. He's probably embellishing but, it. except for the part where he left his knife in the body, his, I don't think his knife has ever been found. It was probably with his belongings that yeah. got thrown away. The scenario that that yeah. snitch described is very similar to what yes. was found. And, and you don't know where where her body originally right. was and because the, of and animals the, and the you know. right in the old shallow grave that people always like to talk about. Well, usually it's it's hard to dig a, a hole big enough to bury yeah. a body. And I don't know that from experience. I just know because I read a lot. But critters are going to dig that up. They, and, they and, smell it. and They'll yeah. dig it up. A human body is a large thing to be rotting, and I'm sure it smells yeah. horrible. Yeah. Or to animals, it smells like yummy. So the other thing about when you were going through that Gary Condit scenario is I don't think back then, although it wasn't that long ago, it's still quite a bit ago, that people, if somebody's trying to set a crime up, that they would necessarily say, oh, I'm going to put this search in the computer because... It wasn't as much of a thing, and they can't. They don't always use much. That said, that said, and let's just continue this hypothetical a little farther. She must have been on her computer a lot. It sounded like she was on her computer a lot. If Mm -hmm. she was, he would probably know that because she probably chat about it. I'm just saying he might not think that way. So he's at. Let's just say though, he's at her apartment, her tiny, tiny little Washington D.C. apartment that didn't have a lot of stuff in it. How do I set up an alibi that makes it look like she was here? mid-morning, oh, wait, here's her laptop open on the desk. You know, when you think about it, I don't know what exactly those searches were, but even if he went to check her history, it's going to show that he was searching. But, ooh, I dumped her body at 4 in the morning in Rock Creek Park, so I'm going to do a search for Rock Creek Park. I know that. I'm just saying that that's a... And here's another thing that I only read in one story, and I didn't say in my telling of this, and that nobody has ever... I've never, I haven't seen a lot of elaboration on, but apparently around 4.30 that morning, there was a 911 call from her apartment building
1: hmm. to
0: police. That was, I think it was a 911 hang-up, and police went and, quote-unquote, didn't find anything. And I, I didn't read that in any of the Washington Post accounts. I, I read it in one story that was more closer to when this all happened. And huh. it's just an interesting tidbit. So it just adds it be, to that yeah. hypothetical that if he did something overnight, if he was there, he told his wife Carolyn, who was in town, that he was working at the office. You know, those congressmen are yeah. working all, all the time. Some of them even, like Bruce Poliquin. Sleeps in their office. Yeah, from Maine. Which he s- probably does. Sleeps in his office. It's cheaper. I'm just saying that that's a way. Yes. Well, she was still alive at 1030 in the morning because here yes. she is searching. Yes. She emailed her mom at 230 a.m. About plane fares, and that's the last anyone talked to her. And she, well, she did have a cell phone. You know, today everybody's got yeah. their phones. And always, she had landline that she used yes. and didn't use the cell phone a lot, yeah. as a lot of back then people who had cell phones yeah. didn't.
1: Okay, but I so, do
0: think that most, Gundyke, it, it would be and a hell of a coincidence if he were attacking women in the same way she died in Rock Creek Park and he didn't have anything to with it. I'm sure to. it was him, especially where she was found where the other attacks occurred. Um, but like we said, I mean, on the other hand, the I don't feel him. on the other hand, I don't feel bad for anything no, that's befallen Harry no, Condit, including no. any suspicion. I mean, I don't really because in karma, but. there's a I think there's a special place in hell for people who prey on young women the way he and preyed the, the on her. Is, you know, and the fact that he's still denying it. He I doesn't know. even have the fuck fucking him. balls to the, say the, he did the it. The girl is dead. At least And all he can think of is memory. saving his own ass. And, you know, fuck you, you I know. know? Yeah. So anyway, that's all our right. way. <laughs> and if he, anything new ever comes of that, we'll discuss it on here. And I, I really feel bad for the, her parents. And... and now to further discuss it, we have Matt. Yeah. Matt Nichols is finally back. Ask a lawyer. Ask a lawyer. Matt. Matt, so Matt Nichols glad. from Nichols and Churchill here in Portland, Maine. And he's going to talk about jailhouse snitches. Okay, good. Hi, Matt.
1: Hi, how are you, ladies?
0: Yeah, it's great to see you again.
1: Good to see you.
0: So our question for you tonight has to do with the case we were talking about on our show, the Chandra Levy case in which a man was convicted largely on jailhouse snitch testimony in 2010, and he was granted a new trial in 2015 when it turned out the prosecution had lied when they said they hadn't used him for snitch testimony in the past. When a new trial was about to get underway, he was recorded saying that he had lied and that the the accused guy had never confessed to him in the first place so the whole case was thrown out because that was the only evidence they had was his testimony and it always feels like jailhouse snitch testimony is so sketchy and loaded with questions that it's surprising it's ever used to base a case on do you have any cases that wrote on jailhouse snitch testimony and is it easier than other witness testimony to dismantle
1: First let's talk about what is evidence in a trial. The evidence is the sworn testimony of the witnesses, any exhibits that are admitted by the court. It is the sole province of the fact finder, whether it be a jury or a judge in a jury waive trial, to judge credibility. So there's good evidence, there's so-so evidence, and then there's bad evidence. So the the fact finder, let's say we're dealing with the jury. The jury is presented with evidence from the so-called jailhouse snitch, that person's sworn testimony. Then it's up to the jurors to decide, as it's up to them to decide with any witness whether the testimony is credible. The judge, in any case, state or federal, gives an instruction to the jurors telling them, number one, what the evidence is, and number two, telling them about credibility. And the court will give the jurors, let them know that they are the sole deciders of uh, what credibility, if any, to give any witness. And the court will give the jurors a non-exhaustive list of suggested tests to weigh credibility, such as the age of the witness, the uh, intelligence of the witness, whether the witness gave Prior inconsistent statements, any bias or motive, which would be paramount in a jailhouse snitch type of case, that the uh, witness had to testify in a certain way.
0: Well, like they always ask them if they were offered anything for their testimony.
1: Well, as part of the discovery process, the discovery process is is just evidence. And the uh, state is required to provide the defense with all discovering the case, and that includes evidence, any evidence that may cause a reasonable doubt, may raise a reasonable doubt about the defendant's guilt. That will always, and this is well-decided law, that will always include any incentives or inducements for witnesses to testify a certain way. And it would also include any prior inconsistent statements the person gave. Promises of leniency or deals that a uh, jailhouse snitch or any other witness was uh, provided by the state has to be disclosed to the defense. So I think in the Chandra Levy case what you're talking about is definitely what we call Brady material, Brady versus Maryland. That requires the state, the prosecution, to hand over any potentially exculpatory evidence to the defense. That would obviously include someone who has previously. Acted as a quote-unquote jailhouse yeah, snitch, like
0: he's a career jailhouse. Man. Yeah,
1: um, and and the inducements the person was given in exchange for their testimony.
0: Now, I was surprised that after they threw it out the first time and declared there'd be a new trial, that the prosecution was going ahead with him as again the you know the one thing the case was based on because you would think what what happened the first time would have hurt his credibility enough. Well my question is is it worth it? I know you you're on the other side in the courtroom but do you think it's worth the risk to have a jailhouse snitch as a witness?
1: It would be the same factors would go into weighing, taken from a Mm -hmm. prosecutor's point of view, the same factors would go uh, into your calculus for uh, the value of a quote-unquote jailhouse snitch, as it would with any other witness. There are biases, agendas, inducements, motives uh, that may come up with any witness. Of course, the the best witness the state could have is the person who has no connection to the case, no axe to grind, no inducements. And quite frankly, the jury sees as someone who is just doing his or her civic duty by testifying and is missing a day of work just like they are to come in and provide credible testimony. Of course, the jailhouse snitch, where you have the inducements, certainly that can throw you, it's the same calculus, but that is a big factor in that calculation is uh, would always be inducements that the person received for providing testimony.
0: And my, I have a, a related question: Why isn't it when somebody confesses to somebody else and they testify? Why isn't that considered hearsay? I know Stat- that's a totally different question. No, Sorry. St- no.
1: Statements by the accused are admissible no matter okay. what.
0: Oh, okay. oh, I don't okay. know. That. Oh. So if oh, so if a jailhouse snitch said hey, I was cellmates with his last cellmate, and that cellmate told me that he said blah, 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 then that would be hearsay.
1: Right. Yeah, okay. Right. If the person testifying says, hey, I was cellmates with X, mm-hmm. and X told me yes. that the accused okay. said something, sure, that's hearsay. Okay. That you got to get sense. X on the stand. Oh. Okay, well,
0: thanks. Thank you. We'll see you next week. See ya. our recommendations today, we're going to talk about podcasts that we yes. like because we're not only podcasters, we're podcast listeners. Yes, we are. I listen to a lot of true crime. I don't listen to much. Well, all. I started out listening to podcasts because I would take long walks in the summer or when the weather's nice. Not right now. I kind of like to listen to music, but I, I used to listen to audiobooks a lot. And when I'm doing work around the house or doing artwork, I listen. used to listen to audiobooks. but. I started to listen to podcasts because, especially, um, This American Life. I used to listen to because I would miss the show if I was working during the weekend when it was on the radio. So that's when I really started listening to podcasts. Was their podcast... Is their Wait, podcast the same as yeah, their it's, show? Yeah, it's just basically they're rerunning the show. And They don't bleep things out and stuff. That's the main difference. Like if people switch... Like if somebody says, fuckity, fuckity, yes. fuck, motherfucker, fuck. Yes, they don't bleep it. <laughs> they don't either. And um, <laughs> and then and I also listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is the quiz show that they have on, which is kind of funny. NPR. Yeah. There was all the buzz about cereal. I listened right. to that. That was my first one. And I listened to the mystery show with Starly Kai, and i like that one so then i branched out because i'm like oh yeah those were your gateway podcast. well because well the other thing is is they'll plug other podcasts so i used to listen to a bunch of different ones i heard about my favorite murder somewhere and uh, i thought it would be something i liked and that's the one with georgia hardstark and karen kilgara kind of a comedy kind of like us they're, two girls talking they're, they're more little- professionally funny than we are yeah they are they're a little smoother and they're younger than us they are. And blonder, I assume, because they're in California. I don't think they're blonde either, oh, okay. so much as I've seen. Okay. Well, I've never seen pictures. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so I started listening to them and enjoyed them very much because they on the same way like this. It, and they also have readers' email murders from yeah, my hometown murder, and, yeah. which, is, which,
1: which is I always find nice. interesting. Yeah, they have
0: minisodes on that. And I also started listening to Thinking Sideways which has three people on it, that has a girl, Devin. They don't t- They don't share their last names. Young woman. I'm sorry, young woman. And Steven, Steve and Joe, who are Joe, I'm assuming it might be our age. 27, 28. Yes, and Steve's, <laughs> uh, Steve's I don't know how old they are, but they talk about mysteries. So sometimes it's true crime, and that's, but they do other stuff like... Either paranormal stuff or missing people, or like um, a lot of times they'll do strange things that have felt like maybe a missing civilization or something like that, or different things. So they touch on a lot of different things, and it's pretty much always interesting. So I would say my favorite ones would be those two right now, and I also like crime writers on. And I started listening to them because we met them at Crime Bake, which is a the New England Crime Bake. It's a conference for mystery writers and mystery lovers. That happens in Massachusetts every November Veterans Day weekend. it's week fun. It's a blast. It's and we met them there and sat in on one of their, they decided to take their podcast there. Mo goes every year, and I just have to gone crime bake. to Crime bake and I've gone the last two years. I had been telling her that she and Pounding I, me. we had talked years ago about doing a blog. Got, got, got it off the ground. We had the time. You, Mo worked a lot. We weren't together as much because you lived I lived close. in my house. Yeah, and he had a job. <laughs> I had a job and lived in my house. So, but then when I started listening to podcasts, I was like... We could do a podcast. We like to talk, and I didn't disagree with that. But she one, just of, didn't have one time. of my hesitations, and, I didn't have time. And you we had, lived. We really listen to many podcasts. We lived ninety minutes away. I had yeah. listened to serial. We had both listened to serial. But I, I liked listening to music in my heart. like the same songs over and over and over again, because <laughs> that's how I roll. But one of my biggest things, I don't know how extensively we ever talk about it, but at the time I was city editor of a newspaper. Yes. And you can't sit there on the air and say motherfucker, motherfucker, I think this guy's a guilty murderer or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. When you're City editor of newspaper. That's true. Now that I, I say whatever the hell I want. I know you do, and now I do too. Not that I didn't say whatever I no, wanted. No, but I understand. When I was you a have newspaper to, editor, but you you have a different responsibility. But I didn't say pu- it public. But I didn't yeah, say it publicly, and it, public probably the fact that I did say whatever I wanted is one reason I'm no longer a newspaper editor. Well, but hey, this is a lot more fun. So now I got off track. So my favorite podcasts, the but, three that are on my. But favorite. you were talking. You were talking about. Before we got on that in fun tangent about what a loser I am, <laughs> <laughs> is that at Crime Bake, the crime writers on People not only taped their podcast on the Saturday, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they interviewed me, by the way, because oh, so, right. well, I'm a mystery writer, that's, it was a so gas. I got my first taste of being on the air, yeah. and they, they were very, very nice and very gracious, nice and told me I did a good job, which fed my Her hugely massive inflated ego. massive ego as my former co-workers would tell i have but the next day i also did a panel about how easy and fun it is to do your own podcast and you're hitting me you're like poking me through the whole 90 minute yeah. panel and see 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 we can and it is i'll tell you it is pretty much fun because we both like to talk we do like you may not know that about us yes. but so anyway so you're like going like to talk about what your you. favorite podcasts were Oh, yeah. Now I can't your remember. Your three favorite, you were starting well, to Well, uh, the three that are on my feed all the time is my favorite, Murder, and Thinking Sideways, and Crime Writer's On. I still listen to This American Life, and I think when I start walking a lot again, I'll be listening a lot more, but. You're going to start walking a lot? In the summer. That's how I usually do, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm, just I'm just bank. asking. I'm just asking. I'm just I just didn't realize that was part of your plan for the summer. That's what I do. Other okay. Summer. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm no, I I didn't mean to go off on uh, a. What you it don't just an think that was? Question. I no, I don't at I'm I'm I picturing us day. walking together. I don't like to walk with people. Okay. Well, I have I my won't. own pace. Okay. I need to be alone. That's my alone time. I walk. I listen to my podcast. I zone Well, maybe out. I'll do it too by myself. And maybe we'll see. And each we'll see each other. other. And I'll pretend I don't know you. I don't talk to people. I, I do meet a lot I of cats. I don't like talking to people. For some reason, I meet lots of cats on my, dogs and, yes, and. on my anyway, anyway, well, I... So, what do you like? Well, I came to podcasts later than you. Yes. Is you know, I did listen to Serial and Who really enjoyed it. Everybody. The first season. I, I listened, liked the second season, too. I didn't listen to did. that, but that was the only podcast, and once in a while, you'd... You made me like if we were driving somewhere in the car. Listen yes. to, to <laughs> like the mystery show. I yeah, the mystery that show one. that one about she where the woman saw the picture of Britney Spears. Yes, holding her book, book, holding her book, so she had to find out whether Britney Spears read her book as an author. That and what me. she thought of it. I was intrigued by the crime writers on panel and by being a guest on their. Podcast at Crime Bake. So it just seemed like the stars and, and were. And I want to say Crime Writers on is a podcast where they review. They started as a crime serial. It was kind of like talking about about cereal. About cereal. And now they've branched out and they talk about different podcasts, but they talk about books and crime. Right. And they're very they're, they're like much review. smoother. they review stuff. They're it's, much smoother mm-hmm. than we are. And there's yeah. there's actually four people. Rebecca LeBoy, who's a New Hampshire Public Radio mm-hmm. reporter. Kevin Flynn, who used to be on TV in New Hampshire, and I'm and sorry I want to say he was thing. on Channel 9. And they're married. And he's written several... Is there any other channel in New Hampshire? There was another small oh, okay. one. It shut down. They, they come up and they shut down. But he and Rebecca have actually written some true crime books, too, that are pretty good. Yes. And they also have Laura Bricker, who also wrote a true crime book, Lies, Lies, More Lies, I think. I'm sorry if I got the name of that wrong. And Toby Ball, who's a mystery writer who writes thrillers. yeah, Historical thrillers, I think. And they talk about other... They talk about podcasts. Yeah, they, like, review stuff. Rebecca lots of times interviews somebody. Yes. And they are fun to listen to. They have great rapport. Two of my favorite podcasts uh, were tips from their show. Oh, really? They also talk about T V series yeah, and they stuff. Talk a lot of stuff, stuff. Yeah. I don't watch. But uh, two of my favorite ones, Breakdown, which is not listen to that. Right. Yet. It's the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And it's had two seasons, and both of them are excellent. And I love the narrator, and you can tell he's a newspaper reporter by the way he talks. Season one was about a guy whose duplex burned down and he was convicted several years ago. The woman in the other half of the duplex died and he was convicted of her murder. And there were a lot of things, including this happened in Georgia, the woeful criminal defense system they had. And it was basically the breakdown of the justice system was and his criminal defense lawyer actually, for years and years and years, tried to get somebody to take up the guy's appeal. And it was a really interesting story. And it, Justin Chapman. His name was Justin Chapman. Thank you. You know, it was where they told one story over the whole season. The totally. second the second season was the guy who was convicted of leaving his two-year-old in, I think, 48 Hours or Dateline just did an episode. Yeah, and they, they totally different. They, yeah. It, yeah, I liked podcasts much better. In another one accused by the Cincinnati Inquirer, about a 1978 murder of a young woman who was just graduating from college. They'd never solved that crime. And another one where the story arc was the whole season of the podcast was Missing and Murder, which was by the Canadian broadcast system, about a young woman in British Columbia who was killed. And it was the same thing where the the story went over the entire season, and it went into a lot of how there are so many indigenous women in Canada who are missing a, much a higher percentage than any other group in Canada and how it's approached in a lot of the history of what the indigenous people in Canada have gone through and that was really good so those three track a story through the whole season but the one I'm obsessed with now and I think I've listened to all 45 episodes there may be two or three episodes I haven't listened to is Case Files and it's an Australian podcast and so I love the guy's accent although sometimes I can't understand I, I sound like a moron but I can't understand what he's saying each one is an individual story, although there's some like the Yorkshire Ripper that was three episodes. Some of them are as short as half an hour or less. Some of them are more than an hour. A lot of them are crimes that take place in Australia, but there's also ones in the U.S., in the U.K., there was one in Poland. Uh, so the I just looked it up to see. So the host is anonymous. Like, we don't know his name. Yeah, you don't know his name. He remains anonymous. Yes, that's interesting. It is interesting. I'm kind of obsessed with that. You know me. I got hooked on one thing, mm-hmm. and like it's listening to the same song over and over. Well, that's what I, I mean with my podcast. I like to I'll, I'll keep listening to it. Like I'll start from the beginning and listen to them. That's why like Thinking Sideways, I haven't listened to all of them, but I've listened to quite a few. Right, and I don't listen to it like case files. I started somewhere. And the later ones, and then I've gone back and listened mm-hmm. to earlier ones been a couple I've delved into and didn't, and I don't want to go into why I don't like them, and I don't oh, feel like there's any point in talking. I mean, if it's not I don't not want for to me, talk about ones I don't like. Cause, yeah, because if it's not for me, I just don't listen. Right, that's why I feel it, and it's I not... you your... just got to try it out, and if you don't like it, there's plenty of others. One of the great things about podcasts is the huge variety that are out yeah. there, and I know there are people who don't particularly enjoy My Favorite Murder because it's not unlike us, two women talking and going off on tangents and stuff. But well, that's one of the things that's I like about it. I feel show. like I'm sitting at the... And that's the thing when I, when I was reading me... And by the because... way, we're not trying to be like them. We're No, we're just not no Some of the reviews, they just don't get that show because they're like, it's just two women see, talking. See, I can't it's say... Like, that's, that's the, the point. Show. That's, that's the, the point. point of the show. That's why I people can't either see, love it, people and I feel really same, like it. I feel the same thing about... Amazon book reviews and that type of thing, if you really hate something, I'm not sure why you would go and trash it. And I've been lucky enough, and I know this is almost throwing a challenge out there, that my books on Amazon have been really nicely reviewed. And I appreciate that. I understand that. constructive criticism, but you would do that if you really think it's good. Like, if I think something's a piece of crap that I'm reading, I'm not going to bother to go say this is a piece of crap. Right. Basically, I'm just going to stop reading it. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, but, you know, it's funny because I read other people's. If you like our show or even if you don't like it, please review it. Although if they've listened for it. over an hour to this episode. Uh, hopefully I like um, it. But go on iTunes. Either, either they like it or they're just trapped and, and can't get the They, their phone they don't know how to change it. <laughs> and also, I feel like one great thing about podcasts, and it's one of the things we kind of learned at that, that panel, or at least we're empowered by that panel that Crime Writers On had, was that anyone can do them. Yeah. You don't have to be a master broadcaster. Obviously, we're not. We're here using yeah. one microphone. One microphone. And I might think when I get my tax refund, we might get, we get a second one. That'll yeah. be a big red-letter day for us. Yeah. And also, if you want to help us out, you can always... Patreon. If you go to our website, Crime and Stuff Online, there's a tab where you can, like Liz from Portland, Oregon... Donate on Patreon, and we have a, we had a couple anonymous donors yeah. too. So we mom and dad. No, they haven't yet. They haven't. Although maybe they think like housing me well, and feeding me is enough. Steal the crime contribution. Go I mean, Yeah, they'll, they'll do that. They'll never know it's me. But one of the great things is you don't have to be. There's it's a DIY. Levels, yeah. And for instance, crime writers on are very professional, yeah. and they're not like slick, icky. They're fun, and, and it's fun to listen to them. But they're professional, and yeah. they do a nice job yes. being professional. And Cereal was very professional. Others, not so much. There are some that I've listened to where right now you can hear a siren in the background because our studio is the lounge at Think Tank co-working on the frozen banks of the Royal as River. As well as the stock practically in the of medium 295 strip of in the 290. 95. To me, that's one of the fun things about podcasts, that I like the kind of fun nature yeah. in, the, in the fact that it's a grab bag and anyone can do one. You're not listening to it and thinking, oh, you need to be. And it's not the radio. If you don't like it, there's you can go to something else. Right. I mean. Even with the radio, you can go to something else. I know. That's you can true. I, I sound like really pretentious, but I listen to. You don't sound pretentious. I listen to NPR all the time. I listen yeah, to that NPR. is pretentious. Well, but I like to listen almost exclusively when I'm driving. And right now I have a half hour drive to work at 5 30 in the morning and sometimes i and it's been nice because the weather's been so bad i can't go the speed limit on you know on <laughs> almost every day it's 45 on 295 yeah. instead of 70 so it's nice because i because sometimes with case files i don't want to get out of the car yeah. and turn it off you know and i can't wait till i get back in the car you get to listen to that australian voice. yeah I, well i like that yeah. i like that australian accent well i like to listen to them if i'm working on artwork or working on something where i can't look it's kind of mindless but you but I think we've gone on long enough about podcasts. So again, this is Crime and Stuff, which you know if you've been listening, but you can check us out more at our website, Crime and Stuff Online. Yeah. all our episodes are on there, as well as ways to subscribe, ways to donate, ways to find out a little more about us and yeah, we have Ask some pages with our stuff on it. And do we have links to stuff? We have. We will have. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon, our web technician, who me, is me, Mo. is planning to put a page on there where we have links to stories on things we've done, especially ones we've really used as sources, like the eight-part Washington Post yes. Chandra Levy story. It was a great source, you know, and I, you want to share that yeah. stuff. And okay. we also have a Facebook page, Yeah. Crime and Stuff. Crime and we stuff. tweet at Crime and Stuff, sisters at Crime and Stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we... What else do we have? Is that Gmail, it? well? Oh, we, and we have a Gmail, Gmail address, crimeandstuff@gmail.com. And we're happy to hear from people. If we get some nice emails or other contacts, we'll no, read them on you the have air. criticism. And again, if you want to help us out, you can donate two dollars a month or five dollars a month on Patreon. Would really you don't have to. And you can find that link on our website. But it doesn't cost anything to rate and review. No, and you can rate and, and review that us on iTunes. On the, iTunes. Um, the charts. Just going up so more people uh, on, will iTunes. Listen. Yes. on iTunes, right? Yes. And so all the burden won't be on you to listen because there will be other people <laughs> listening. <laughs> I think Seriously. that's, I think we've drawn. And if you want to on find on more on about off. my mystery novels, you can go to Maureen Milliken.com, Maureen and she's gonna have a new one coming I'm out. I'm trying to get it written between, between all my unemployment type jobs, jobs and, and everything else. It's always going on in my head, and that's so keep an eye out. For a teaser on what our next episode is going to be. And we have some good stuff coming up. Yes. That we'll be talking about, too. Yeah, we've got some exciting shit. All right, answer. so I guess that's it for this week. Yes. Yeah, see ya. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. See you next week. Say how Jim Jones died, because I got on the, uh, uh, yeah, okay. Can you say that again? Yeah, I'm glad it's Deirdre Moynihan's birthday that it needed to remind you that while I was talking. Well, um, you I don't control the computer It sometimes <laughs> controls us yeah what the fuck cortana wants to see what it, can God, you turn I fucking that, that thing Cor- thing no it won't turn off it won't turn off why does it keep telling you uh, stuff uh, it, it's uh, also uh. told me to shoot people